Hello, hi. How are you doing? I hope you are good. I hope you're relaxed. My name is Yalezo, also go by Yaz the Student. I am the host of the African Film Podcast. So if this is the first time you're with the African Film, we are a space that explores African cinema through film recommendations as well as through conversations with practitioners working within the space. And the way our the way this format usually works, we start with the film recommendation and then we go into our guest. So this week, we're not giving you one. We're giving you two double. Double the trouble, double the fun. And both of them are romance films, but the catch is they're both short films. The first one is called The Letter Reader, and the second one is called The Groom's Prize. So The Letter Reader is a film which came out between 2018 and 2019. I am not sure, so I'm mentioning both years just in case I am wrong. And it is written and directed by Sibosiso Kuzwayo and stars Bashle Mashinini, Nokutula Mazibuko, and Andile Gumbi, the late and great Andile Gumbi. This short film is set in the 70s and it takes us. So essentially this film, the way that it works is that this kid um, used to lives in the city and has come to visit his grandparents in rural KZN for the holidays. And whilst he's visiting his grandparents, he gets a job helping his grandparents at their shop. And what his job is, is these people get letters from all around different places, but most of them can't read. So he then essentially becomes the letter reader who tells them what's going on from the letters that they've been received. <laughs> Now he gains a crush on one of on one of the women within the specific town. And her story is that her husband, who's played by Andile Gombi, had left for the city. He sends a letter. Now that he's at the city and he's found his job and he's good, he wants a divorce. He wants to essentially break up. But Butler's character lies and doesn't read that letter and makes up a letter as to how well things are going into the city and how much Andile's character misses her. Because he has this crush on her and he doesn't want to hurt her. And then essentially now starts writing more letters as to what her husband is doing in the city to kind of maintain contact with her and not necessarily hurt her feelings. This is one of the films, in fact, both of these films I wish could be made into full-length feature films because this film specifically, where it ends, is where I believe the film begins because it ends at such a unique place where I wanted to know what happens thereafter. It is available on Netflix. I do implore you to check it out. It is a very sweet romantic film. It's about 30 minutes long. So our second film is called The Groom's Price. It is written and directed by Mabato Moncho. And it is it stars Tuming Gumla and Wandile Molebatze. They are paired as a couple who have been dating for nine years. So Wandile's character is currently still studying. I think he's trying to get his master's or something like that. He's trying to get his master's. And Tumi has been working. They've been dating for nine years. They're in a committed relationship. They love each other. And Tumi's character really wants to get married. But Wandile wants to wait until... Mandila wants to wait and essentially until he's finished his studies and has found a job that is stable so that he can propose and then start you know, border negotiations. But to me, to, me, to me, it feels kind of different because they've been dating for nine years. She feels like she's in a stable relationship and she's financially set. So what she thinks about is like, okay, wait a minute. Why don't we try this, this thing a little bit different? What if I were to pay Lobola for you? And the thought keeps running in her head. And then she essentially goes to her aunt to start Lobola negotiations for Wandile's character. And that is the essential premise. Everyone in this film gives a fantastic performance. It is genuinely one of my favorite short films. I want it to be stretched into a full film. It, it's a film which starts and finishes and the time you don't even feel the 30 minutes and that film is also available on netflix so those are my two recommendations in terms of short films that you should check out now moving on to our guest so our next guest takes us into the world of acting on a very molecular level because this person is both an acting coach he's a casting director and he's a film festival director 
He goes by the name of Ayanda Sitebe and he's a SACTA award-winning creative for his work with Actor Spaces. Our conversation varies from his journey into acting, into casting, directing what it is that he looks for when he's looking to cast for shows. One of the shows he's currently a casting director for is BT's first telenovela, Isono, as well as a lot of other projects. So here is the conversation with Ayanda Sitebe. This episode was sponsored by the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture. Welcome to African Film. In studio today, we have, when we speak about, when people speak about gatekeepers and people and decision makers within the entertainment industry and acting, today we're speaking to one of those people. This man <laughs> is a SAFTA award-winning creative director. He is the founder of Actor Spaces. He's also a casting director. He is a director of the Africa Rising International Film Festival, which is about to enter its third, third season this year. So... In terms of actual being a decision maker and or a, a gatekeeper, he is a gatekeeper within multiple realms. And that is the man, the SAFT award winning Ayanda Sitebe, who can then expound on a lot of the things which I may have missed about his introduction. Thank you so much, Les. That was a nice introduction. Uh, I, don't, I don't think, is, is gatekeeper a very positive word? Look, so originally, originally I thought it was a negative word. And then one of my friends yeah. actually um, said, no, the actual definition of gatekeeper has turned negative, but the actual definition is someone who actually has something to hold. So you have actor spaces, you have a reef, which is your film festival. So you're the person who makes, who chooses what films get into those specific festivals. So there's still a filtration process. And because of that filtration process, you're the person at that gate that allows whatever goes into a reef purely from a definition perspective. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. That's why but I said I guess... gatekeeper and decision maker. So, <laughs> so I threw both words in so that people are... <laughs> but I Yeah, yeah. So that people are like, oh, is he also a gatekeeper? Because I guess the broader understanding or like you said, the, the change to the meaning has sort of carried a very negative connotation over over the years you know where when people can't access the industry in certain ways they're like it's because of those gatekeepers you know so but i i but i understand like from an inception of the word gatekeeper you know in a little form but i guess where we are in the industry now it has taken a different meaning yes so i'm i'm trying to invoke the original meaning this is what this is what we're doing here we're, we're going back to the originals because i was called no, the gatekeeper important. last year and i was like what and then they when they said no because you have the showcase and this and this this that i couldn't argue against them and i was like okay i am a gatekeeper <laughs> i don't <laughs> i don't see myself as like the a gatekeeper gatekeeper like an end all and be all but i'm like within specific yeah. spaces there are things which i'm able to curate but even that you create it for what for what it is that you want that thing to be but before we get boggled down into what gatekeepers are can you tell us just a little bit more about yourself sir yeah i I think overall um it's always I, i always sort of struggle to really um define myself because i've dedicated myself in just like making sure that the industry grows and stuff so i get lost in it and i and like you said i find myself doing so many things within the industry so at the heart of it um i'm just a creative you know that's trying to to create a better environment for other creatives whether established creatives whether emerging creatives I'm a creative. I think that's the best way I sort of just describe myself. Born in, in, in KZN and raised in Soweto. And I always say this in my interviews, moved a lot, moved around Soweto, found myself in different townships. And, and I think that has as well has contributed or shaped the type of creative that I am today in terms of different worlds that I've been exposed to. 
Yeah, man. I think I think that's me. I don't know. Unless you know, there's one specific thing you want to know about me, Alex. Then I'm happy to. to oh share no, that. this is this is not about me. <laughs> this is, this is, we're here to have a conversation. We're here to have a conversation. For sure, for sure. So for sure. I'm not sure if you do know about African film, but it originally started on. It started within lockdown it actually started the day of lockdown which was not planned um it was just a happy coincidence because we wanted to when quarantine was first announced we were like okay so we're all going to be in and people are going to be forced to be in in their houses at specific points in time so let's start an online movie club where we have like these watch parties where we call everyone yeah log on to netflix or showmats at this specific time let's watch the movie together in live time and have a discussion around it what was really cool is that we were able to also get some of the filmmakers to have like a full-on q a session usually the day afterwards on an instagram live so we did some with yellowbone entertainment for so the winter to my skin as well as my twitter happiness is a four-letter word and so what this is essentially is kind of trying to bring that essence back but more within a podcasting space to explore a little bit more about african film both continentally and locally amazing so what i want to know from you is what is your favorite african film and why sure <laughs> we're going in um I, this is the one common question i ask everyone <laughs> it is it is because it's, it's it's the movie club question because you know well, when we, we, we want to talk and the thing is don't take it as a thing of this is you're saying this is the best film african no film of no all time. no for sure it's just about you right now what it can even be your favorite film right now it doesn't have to be your favorite film of all time just your favorite african film um obviously i think we grow up watching a lot of tv and and the the films that one was mostly exposed to were the international films and and the african content became the tv content the the sitcoms your imuzwenzizo and 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 all these local stories that we grew up watching so i mean that most of the time takes up so much space that when someone asks you about your favorite african film it's it's crazy that my mind just literally went to these old local series dramas but i, I recently uh, not recently 3 years back discovered uh, joe bullet um which i think it was like looking at the time it was made uh, how it was that made movie is the bane of my existence <laughs> it is the one look I have tried to watch that movie. I have looked for it because I remember it was on at a reef. Yeah. And I never got to watch it at a reef and my brother did. Yeah. And he walked out of it mind blown. So um to kind of give or you're going to give would you like to give the background for Joe Bullitt or would you like me to to Look, I do go for it. Go for it. So Joe Bullet <laughs> cuz okay, I know so, you want to anyway. <laughs> so part of the reason why Joe Bullet is part of the bane of the, the why I want to watch this movie and I've looked for it and I can't find it and the minute it comes onto a streaming platform I will be so loud the minute I can find it. So Joe Bullet was the first or it's been purported to be the first all black african um south african uh, film with an all black cast so it was a black exploitation film that was done in 1972 and did it, it did have a black director right it was like all black um did it have a black no, it was a white director it was louis louis devet so it was a white so it was a white director um, but it was an all black cast it was the first all black cast film yeah, yeah, so yeah yeah it was this black exploitation film came out 1972 i believe it was aired once um or if not once it had it had a, it had a very short run and then was basically banned from existence until yeah. very recently so it's this it, it is the first all all black film that happened it was a black exploitation film my brother went, action film yes black exploitation action <laughs> film action yeah. i will repeat 1972 black exploitation south african film just just this is why this is why I've, I've been wanting to watch this movie. So my brother went and watched it and he came out and he was depressed. And the reason why he was depressed was because he was like he went in w- almost wishing that the movie was bad so that he can feel like there was the part of the lost history that we've lost we we haven't necessarily gained but he said that the movie technically like in terms of even the action sequences and everything was so good it felt like some it felt like it was better than some of the black exploitation films that were american at the time specifically on a technical basis so he came out both excited and pissed off because they're like we could have been a lot further had this thing not been like squashed right at the get go 
But now, now that I've given why I, it is the bane of my existence and told of the films I really want to watch, you can tell me why it is your favorite film and, 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 and a little bit more about it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you've covered the essence of the film and I think that's why I fell in love with it as well, you know. Um, and, and, and I mean, the, one of the reasons that it was banned it was because, besides that it had an all-black sort of cast, but it actually had a black superhero, which was played by uh, Ken Gump. And he was the hero. He was like really beating up white people. And I think that pissed off a lot of sort of white people in that era. I saw your schemer web. I've done it before. What are you talking about? You must be crazy. They are best. I want those guys back with the Falcons by next week. If not, get rid of them. They wanted to join the Falcons so they can win the cup final. And you want me to keep them off your base? Please, Joe, and you can help with training. Joe. 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 He's the man, the man who fights evil. He's the man, the man who fights crime. He's the man, no one can tie down. Yeah, so so they knew Gucci. Once we see ourselves as superheroes, and and we know how much influence film or storytelling has in a society, you know. So I guess I guess they, they were like, this is not seeing uh, the day of light. I think it was screened only once at AA2 uh, Cinema, which is in Soweto. So I, th- I think it's one of those movies that every time you talk African film, they just, you know, they, they stand out sort of in. in. So it, it is one of my favorite movies. Um, but I think the likes of Rapulane, I know they, they did some amazing work um, during their time as well, where they did the Jerusalem uh, Paradise Stop, the White Wedding. So we have beautiful references of films, of African films, especially South African films that one can reference to. Um, so there's quite a number as well. Paradise Stop actually is, is one of my favorite African films as well. I think the performance there stands out. And every time I think about Mishak Mavuso's performance in that film, I don't know if you know it, it's it's out of this world his performance there i have not watched so, it so i it is now in an added yeah. it is now i think the second film that i have to add onto my onto my watch list which is exciting i hope that it's on showmax or netflix yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm actually taking it. I, th- I, I, I i let me see i think it is on netflix now actually paradise stop they've got a lot of i, I just forgot rapulan is uh, and 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 Kenneth as uh, what's this production company? But I think most of their distribution, I could be wrong, was under Indigenous Films. So I've I've seen that Netflix has acquired a lot of Indigenous films um, on 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 the platform. So I'm sure you you'll Paradise Stop Paradise is Stop on um, is on Netflix. And it's funny you mentioned that because you put Bar- yeah. um, you put Paradise Stop, and then the next thing that the movie that comes out right next to it. Is Jerusalem, and then after that is White Wedding. So it's all the movies that you're talking about. Yeah. It's all their <laughs> movies, yeah. So I think there was a slate thing there happening, you know. And and I just obviously I don't know why that 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 uh, production company didn't continue on 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 that sort of pace of just producing movies. But I think Yellowbone is is the next sort of production that's doing that. Who I think they've made a commitment to themselves to produce a film a year. And, and if we keep that momentum, I think it's really good for the industry's growth. But yeah, but Joe Poulet is one of my favorite African That is one of your favorites. And I think it deserves to be seen like by a lot of filmmakers. And I think it could go on to be a good reference for film school. I genuinely believe well. just just because um, of part of the history, because like I think with with both America and yeah. Britain, they have films which are meant to be preserved for historical purposes and are almost made available to the library, so that if you want to kind of study or make reference to that, you're able to find a place to to get that information. If we have that, I need to know yeah. if that if Joe Bullet is part of that like library, and then if it is part of that library, it really needs to kind of 
mine that story because it's a, it's a very important piece of our history, specifically on black on screen cinema. Totally agreed. I think I yeah couldn't agree more, man. I think it should definitely be included in such platforms. Yeah, Joe Bullet, it is. So now, as as much as you you're an all com- you're an wow, hold on, you are an all encompassing creative, right? Yeah. But your journey if I'm not mistaken, started off within acting and then it then gradually moved behind the screen into, into the world of actor spaces and you'd become a cast director. Correct. What was the reasoning or what was the kind of journey that led into that transition, both being within being an actor and then moving more into the infrastructural space? Yeah, I, th- I think it was an organic shift. It was very natural. So there was no uh, planning around it. You know, it was just very organic. And I woke up one day, looked back and I'm like, oh, this is the new space that I'm in now within, with, within the industry. But I think, you know, you're a storyteller and you, you're just trying to find the best way you can exercise that muscle. And for me, I wanted to be an actor, did acting classes, uh, really messed myself with, with understanding the craft, uh, did ads, I did Soul Buddies. So, so at that very young age, I was, I was very active as an actor, did a lot of theater work. But one thing that always happened was every time we were in a rehearsal or I was acting with an actor, I would really find myself admiring the actor or, or just being taken by what the actor is doing, you know? And, and obviously that became a distraction in, in being in a scene with someone and then all of a sudden you just freeze because you're not responding as an actor. You're now just standing dead still and watching this, this amazing performance. Yeah. And, and I didn't know how to deal with that. What that evolved in becoming, it became more literally now starting to say to the actor, maybe if you do this, you'll get these results. So I slowly started facilitating drama, which some people now we call it coaching, you know, so I, I really started coaching actors and that that the coaching as well evolved to to directing. And I, I started directing a lot of theater. So I was directing theater. I was writing theater. At the same time, I was teaching acting. And at a very young age, if I have to say, we found ourselves as kids teaching each other this craft that we, we, we just knew how to express ourselves, but we're still finding it and, and trying to understand it. But at the same time, we were like, if you do it like this, we, you're going to get these results, you know? Yeah. So, so I spent a lot of time in the development space where we're teaching acting or coaching, because I think teaching is something else as well, but we're literally starting to coach. And that evolved as well, because you start, I think when you're in a development space, it does get very lonely there in a sense that you work with all these young actors and, and you see them grow and becoming literally superstars, you know, which, which that's, you get so much fulfillment in that. You, you, there's so much joy in it, but at the same time, it gets lonely because you are in this circle of, you're just seeing new people all the time. So you, you start wanting to get more involved in the value chain, you know, and I mean, you start looking at the financial aspects to say, okay, how, how more can I get involved in this value chain, you know? So me spending a lot of time with actors and building certain relationships with actors as well, whether be imaging or, or established or whatever you want to call it, I had to find a way to say, now, how do I utilize this exposure as well? And slowly I was drawn towards casting as well, because you get exposed to so many characters, you get exposed to so many actors. And as soon as an actor starts to, with their first line, you sort of just know where this actor might go, or you know that, oh my God, this is, this, this person is so right for this character, or you know that, oh my God, this person is so talented. I started sort of channeling that energy towards casting, you know, and, and I, think, I think that's how I got into uh, being a casting director as well. What was your first casting directing gig for? Obviously, I did a lot of stage, but my first directing gig was um, with Black Brain. Yeah. I did Abom Zala, and I'll always be grateful to to Mandla and you know for the opportunity that it gave me and and I know how many other young people from Soweto and from everywhere in the country that Mandla and gives this platform where 
you come in and you've never directed any professional thing before, you know, all you know is stage. And he, he's like, go for it. So that was like my first directing sort of work. But before I directed Abom Zala uh, with Black Brain, I did sort of uh, Shadow Mandla for a while when we were doing um, Tandega's Diary. I don't know if you remember Tandega's Diary. I think it was, uh, it was on SABC One. Uh-huh. And then there I got exposed to literally doing a lot from his casting process, which I was part of from just from a lot of sort of departments that I got involved in, you know, just to see the mechanism. So I think I, get, I got sort of my first exposure within Tandega's Diary, which I earned sort of my uh, Mandla ends trust. And he sort of said, okay, uh, Abom Zala, you're going to get a couple of episodes there to direct. And that was a multicam sort of setup. So that that was an, an exciting process as well that one sort of got involved in. That was kind of your start. And now you found yourself basically casting, directing for BET's first African telenovela, Isono. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's it's just been an honor to be part of that production. You know, I mean, working with Manchester there, who who's the creator of the drama, she knows what she wants out of it, and and she's part of every aspect of it, and not and not in a negative way. You know, but her involvement is just like I think such an inspiring move when you're just watching her work, and she's like, I and I want this person to look like this so that it complements the story. And her perspective as well is like, Ayanda, this is not just a South African story. This is an African story. I want anyone who's watching it anywhere in the continent. I need them to relate to it. I need them to connect with the characters. So I think the, the, the Clive Morris production as a whole, you know, the execs, I think they've made, they've created a beautiful environment for most of the HODs that are part of Isono. How has it kind of been working within it? Because you guys, from only reading news that comes out, you guys have had quite a, I don't use the words tumultuous, but it's been, it's, COVID has made things interesting because you guys were initially meant to premiere in July. I remember because I had to do I had to do promo. We did promo with with Didi. We did uh, we did promo with Didi on YFM. Yes. And like yes, mid July, yes. and it was meant to come out two weeks later. Next thing, you guys are closed down because of COVID, and then you guys decided to take an elongated break. You're dealing with two different elements within Isono, both one being at a, a show within COVID um, or a production within COVID that's launching within COVID, but two, a show that then has to kind of deal with continental sensibilities. As you've just mentioned, it's, 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 it's not just broadcasting live within South Africa, it's broadcasting across the continent. And from what I understand, they're going to be actual maybe some Ghanaian or Nigerian characters who are coming onto the show and those are kind of being played by actual um, West Africans and that it's exploring a lot a lot more than just a local context so how is what have been some of the challenges or I don't I don't use the word challenges what have how has the experience been (laughs) <laughs> Look, man, I think I think um, no one could have prepared for COVID in like, I think it just took the world by storm. So it has been an interesting sort of journey to navigate around this this virus, its impact and stuff. So I think when initially the the whole when initially the casting process and everything started, no one had a clue that we had a storm coming, you know. So when was this, I think, just for context, when when did the casting process start? Casting process started last year, late last year. But but just to answer you, I think it has been about how do we adapt, you know, with the environment that, that we're facing. I think it was just continuously how do we adapt where from a casting perspective side of it, we had to literally moved towards the self-tape sort of aspect of approaching it. Luckily, the leads and, and all the, 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 the main casts, that was already done. So it was just now the supporting, how do we get the supporting cast? Because it's a telenovela, so you work block by block. You know, we're sitting on, like you're sitting at 100 and something characters, and that's there's still more. So if you're looking at a 200 and plus sort of episodes, each block you are introduced to four or five new characters. 
you know, so, so that the, the casting process for telenovelas, it doesn't stop. So we had to literally migrate towards the self-tape aspect of it, obviously because trying to minimize the spread of the virus where you, you bring in people to a studio. So those were measures that were taken to say, okay, no castings will be done physically. Even now we're still not doing castings uh, physically, you know, just to be more careful. But I think BET really brought in a lot of resources to make sure that cast and crew were really protected. You know, even, even the executives as well made sure that they put the cast and crew first. That was the most, I don't know, uh, very important sort of gesture that came from executives and, and, and BET. Even them deciding to stop production. At some point, there was no cases, there was nothing. They were like, okay, we're shutting down because uh, the news are saying there's going to be a pick and we don't want you guys to be exposed to that if it means pushing back and and you must know that to push back uh, tx that disturbs a lot of things when it comes to for broadcasters you know oh yeah when i you, know i i yeah yeah it, it, it does a <laughs> when lot you're looking, <laughs> when you're looking at the commercial side of it when you had advertisers booked for those sports whatever ripple effect that it creates and at the same time You've got a crew and cast that is sitting at home and they are, they are expecting to be paid because they're in a contract. So from a budget perspective, you can imagine what's happening there. And then you have to deal with the fatigue aspect of it, where you like feel like you feel like everyone is just tired now, you know. So, so, I mean, there were a lot of challenges, but what I've learned about the community of creatives is like, it's like there's no stopping creatives. And I think, and I think that's the beauty in it. Like as much as there were all these challenges, but it's like you end up not seeing them because your mind operates from a space of I'm creating uh, and I'm more solution driven. And everyone was that in, in that mode, you know, um, and obviously safety taking priority, you know, from uh, having the right gear, social distancing, which is the most difficult thing for act, for actors as well, because we are actors. If you see actors, if you've been on set, you know how actors interact with each other, you know, and just to police that. So those were the challenges you restricting, restricting that energy, you know, I think those were the challenges, but I mean, as uh, most of the time casting directors, you, you hardly on set, you just, you know, you just, continuously reading the script, trying to understand the characters, trying to say, okay, this character, I think I need someone who looks like this because it's going to complement the existing character, which is Gabriel or whatever. This season's interviews were primarily recorded remotely via Zoom during September and October 2020. The African Film Podcast is produced by Enraptured Odyssey, a media company based in Alberton, South Africa. To find out more on African Film and Enraptured Odyssey, you can go to their website, enraptured.africa, and you can also follow their social pages at African Film, that's A-F-R-I-Q-U-A-N, Film, on social media sites for more fun film facts. What kind of goes into the preparation of you understanding how to choose the specific actor for a character? Because I also know sometimes within the writing process, sometimes the writers really have actors in mind that they want to, to have for specific roles and then they kind of tailor it to that specific person. But for an actor, if an actor is listening, just for them to have the, the perspective, because sometimes people take things personally when it's not necessarily a personal thing as to why someone mm. was chosen, why someone was not chosen. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think that's a very interesting question. I mean, the first process or the first step is really once you know, all right, Ayanda, we need you to come in and cast for this. What is it? You know, what is the story about? What's the world that, that, that we're trying to create? create so you know so you look at all those aspects of 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 the story the story bible and most of the time i like reading the characters without putting faces to them i don't know if that makes sense because sometimes when you go when you just like oh the lead is this and that oh then you literally put your mind on a specific actor i think that takes away from a process of exposing yourself to different actors who 
and, and seeing what something they, you would have what could they of. yeah yeah so so most of the time i try not to put an actor while i'm still just trying to get to know these characters what they're all about um how they relate with each other within the story what's that web looking like and then after that obviously you engage with the creators as well because most of them come in already knowing you know what they want you know um who they want for this role you get a lot of that in the beginning stages of of casting like um the executives tell you what who they want or they propose rather let me not say they tell you but they will yeah. propose like ah i think cuz they've read obviously the story before you you know they've spent a lot of time with it already um i want this person i want this person um the writers like like you said in the writing room they are already seeing a certain people as well um so you have all these people um who sort of put forward their suggestions you know which that's on its own it's an amazing process but what i usually do i look at the suggestions i don't definitely disregard them or whatever because sometimes they make sense you, when you <laughs> read it as well as a casting director like okay this makes sense i see why you wanted sabong uh, atwala here or why you wanted elezo uh, here it makes sense but i think from there what i do i i really open it up and i start sort of putting in some twists in those suggestions uh where you now playing the guy who says uh let's try this person and let me know what you think you know but i think after you want to deal with your leads uh you put up the briefs send out to agencies so the, the, there's no magic in it like most of the castings that i've involved in it doesn't matter whether producers or producers mainly whether they know or not who they want i still sort of send out a brief of that character and see what other actors can offer for that role you yeah. know and and you still make it like a beautiful sort of um um competition around around the character because that's a beautiful process as well you select your top 3 from there if you have to go to chemistry tests then you do your chemistry test it is a very lengthy uh, process and sometimes i've seen especially the the well established professional actors getting very irritated as well when you call them on the third time in the studio they already like dude uh, it's either you want to use me or not but at the same time everyone involved want to see how they relate with this person or how they the how, how does the chemistry look like you know with the proposed wife or or husband and 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 so forth are there tangible things which you believe actors can do in terms of preparation to make themselves stand out within auditions 80% of getting ready for an audition or standing out in an audition is is prep right i find that so so i look i spend a lot of time in an audition room right and and i see an actor comes in they do what they do and i always forgive actors because the the choices they make most of the time it's choices that they think serves them or it's the right choices right or they don't have full and context and they've just built the context off of what's on the paper correct. in front of them correct so in 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 that light i'm i'm mostly very forgiving and and they doing it the way they think it it's what it is right yeah. but i but they the the time you spend with the text i think will always reflect in an audition room like like i know an actor um that oh shucks besides their experience or not they spent time with it they spent time with the text they spent time trying to figure out who this person is whether it's what they say or how they say it or the type of questions they ask you about the character or the situation yeah and, and i think that's the only thing you can do as an actor because beyond that you you'll end up writing the whole film over again or the whole <laughs> or the whole telenovela <laughs> so so i think it's spending time with the side that you have and try and get as much nuances about this character and 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 the subtext as well you know just or opening up your imagination to say oh th- this is where this thing is coming and probably this is where it's going you know and and if you build those things around around the side that you get i think that's only thing you can do to really really stand out is 
is how much work ethic you did put behind in prepping for the audition. I find that most actors don't prep for auditions. From emerging to, to professionals, most of them don't prep. And, and sometimes the actor maybe is too busy or I don't know what happened, but sometimes you, you, you see an actor doing something and you're like, dude, I, I just know you did not prep for, for this audition. And sometimes that's, that's like the worst because I've seen sometimes, you know, you know, as a casting director, you're sitting with your director. Um, I'm currently now casting for a state that's going on SABC3. I've, I've been lucky enough to have the, the HOD, the main director with me in the auditions. And sometimes he looks at an actor who gave it their all, but he knows that mm, he's not the character. She's not the character. Then he would like, okay, let's do this can we give you this character and you can just go outside and work on it? So sometimes the work ethic opens you up to say, I, to, to a director, roles. casting director to say, actually, I want to work with this person. Yeah. Because you get the energy, you get the work ethic around the actor. You're like, oh my God, maybe this character can work for this actor. So, And sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes it's that good or it's that intriguing that they create other characters. Because I know um, it's also happened with me once where sometimes, not once, it's happened with you a couple of times where someone comes in and they do an amazing performance. Mm. And the look that you're looking for the character is very specific, but they're not of that look. But you're like, you know what? There's this other character. Please, can you try for this other character and see if we can do this because you might be able to fit more than that line of character because you've prepped so much and you can see that or even you'd, you'd hear someone like within Gomorrah the the lead uh the the kid lead uh Sishi I believe he yeah. from what I heard from from the casting director from what he spoke about Sishi had come in for an audition for a completely different series and gave a really compelling audition but they couldn't cast him and then they still remembered him from that audition and said please now come within the next film for this role and then that was for Gomorrah at least that's how they've been telling the story so even if it doesn't work for you for that specific audition if it compiled that much it may give you a ticket to another audition which is a lot more tailored to what they believe you can fit. Sometimes I want to remove audition from the word audition because sometimes the the idea of going into it as an audition, already I think that is crippling in so many ways for actors, you know? And, and when you say it, it sounds so like cliche, like, ah, dude, shut up, you know? But going in there with the mentality of I'm going to perform, that for me always changes everything for an actor. Getting those butterflies as if you're about to go on stage, you know, those those nerves. If you take that into an audition room, you know, I, I think it, it, it does change a lot. Like the stories that you've mentioned now, we've had so many of those stories. If Probably if you sit down with Angus and Debucho, Matlazi, they had Bob and Desri. They've got files of these stories, you know, where if they tell you about probably the casting process for Izo Izo, where someone brought in a friend and the friend started auditioning because they just saw the look and like, yo, this, we've got that Bobo character. This could be our Bobo, right? He's like, come in, just say something. Oh my God, this is a Bobo. But uh, anyway, uh, some other people get lucky like that. But I think for me, the, at the heart of it is prep. And I always say to actors, you need to develop your own work process. Or, or your own work system in terms of when an, a brief comes in, what are the steps, you know, for you to prepare for that audition? You find that most of the actors don't have a process. They just look at the, the side and like start reading it over and over and over, put it away, continue with life. After 10 hours, you remember, oh, shucks, tomorrow I've got an audition. You pick up the script again. Then you're in a room with people, hey, hey, ha, huh, ha. Huh. You go home and and that's it, you know, where if you create a process, it changes everything. Say, oh, shucks, I've got a performance next week and this is how I'm going to prep for it. So that when I get there, they remember me, like you said, whether for that role or for the next thing or for whatever. But I went in there and I performed and I had a good time. You move on. Okay, so now moving out of the casting process, you're also in a very interesting position in that... You also do the Africa Rising International Film Festival. Mm-hmm. So a- apart from understanding what's what's happening now, you're able to be kind of 
I don't want to say privy, but you you're a little bit more privy into kind of what's what's what may be happening, and not just privy. You're part of the facilitation of some of these things that are coming. So, for example, like last year um, at Reef, Brand Studios was one of the main partners in terms of facility uh, in terms of them coming, and they brought the Joker and Queen no, uh, Queen and Slim was not yeah they, yeah. they said Queen and Slim Correct. was is a brown film but not a brown film um in terms of they were the 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 distributor but it wasn't their production if i'm not mistaken they they, they were one of the producers yeah they they were they were producers within the they were producers within the film so yeah. for example brown studios happened last year and i think even at durban format one of the interesting things that was one of the interesting conversations that was occurring was essentially about how the main um some of the main streaming platforms because we've already seen that netflix is now here but amazon go and disney plus are also kind of looking to not looking but they're actively investing and planting seeds to be able to do more african productions that are playing within Correct. young adult stories, women's stories, LGBTQIA stories, as well as specifically African folklore. As we can see, um, even with the upcoming Blood Sounds of Canal, with uh, both Showmass and Canal Plus, as well as the Shaka Zulu. It is Shaka Zulu that's coming out next year. Between those two. So... Yeah. From your understanding, what's coming? What where is the African story kind of from an international perspective? Because what are some of the things that you feel is where the African story is going to be going within the next five or so or few years as it currently stands? Um, I think. Look, I think we know that um, there's there's a lot that's bubbling right from a global interest into into the continent overall, you know, and I think it's been bubbling for a while now. And, and, and I think it's going to stop from being in the next five years, what's going to stop is having these um, seasonal wins, you know? So, so what I mean by that is where once a year we celebrate a, a Queen Sono, for an example, and then we have to wait for another three years to, to make a, another global move. So I think there's a lot of interest now globally. There's a lot of interest in the African continent. And it's now even more positive because the creatives are getting more license now to, to own the narrative. Um, because before the interest was there, but there was a lot of, we are bringing in our own directors. We are bringing our own DOPs. We are bringing in our own actors to to narrate these african stories i'm sure you've seen that and i mean we've complained about why would you bring an uh, uh, an actor like this who doesn't know the language da, 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 to play an african icon so i think what the shift that's happening now is that we are going to have in a year you're going to have times 10 of queen sonos that can or blood blood and water that can go on and be number one in 70 sort of countries when when it goes out. Well, this year has actually been quite interesting with that because you're talking about um, like it's been like quiet wins. But if we're, if we're like strictly looking at Netflix, you had Queen yeah. Sono, which was a worldwide top 10 hit. Then you had Blood and yeah. Water, which was a worldwide number one hit, which, which yeah. took all of us by, by, by storm. And what I loved also about like Blood and Water was amongst the youth or should i say amongst people my age and younger i'd never seen so much twitter engagement in my life over mm. a south african show and then almost two months later it was trending again but even after that still um two months later seriously single came out and before it came out there was a new york times article about it and it was also still top 10 in a lot of different territories and then out of nowhere santana i should say out of nowhere because out of nowhere to me because i only found out about santana the day it came out no it was out of i nowhere. was so <laughs> you're right <laughs> i was caught off guard. i didn't watch it I, I still have to watch it but so i was like what way how because Ooh. people were saying no there's, there's there? a south african film and i'm like what do you mean and i was so i was hurt because every week I'm looking every week because I'm on I'm on YFM. I'm looking at what's coming out this week and what's coming out next week or what's yeah. coming out in the future so I can tell people. Then all of a sudden, I've already done my schedule and I've done my slot. And then all of it, I'm being told that there's this African film that's out on Netflix and it's not been out. And I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> How? 
Was, but that film yeah I, yeah <laughs> but that film and that film is both it's not just south african it's south african angolan it's a it's a it's a yes. co-production between south african angola but that film was also i believe a top 10 hit around the world so even if you're just looking at netflix alone we've had almost not just not when you say seasonal it's actually been seasonal in terms of like uh, summer winter spring yeah, yeah. so yeah. so so we can actually feel like the rapid movement and then all of a sudden there's a netflix original christmas special a south african christmas special christmas. i'm yeah, like what yeah. is what is this we have a christmas special <laughs> an actual south african christmas movie yeah. that for me that's an actually a, an exciting concept because i i i don't know of a south african christmas movie like a christmas movie like a home alone yeah. So yeah. so yeah, you yeah. can kind of see those 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 elements kind of already at play right now. But then there's still other players who are kind of building into that. So even um, if you can speak to this, speak to this. If you can't, I understand. So because I already know that yeah. Bron is also coming back this year. What are some of the developments that are happening like within that type of space in terms of even bringing different types of energies within, not just to dis tribute because we have the distributors oh more distributors are coming but also from like a knowledge exchange perspective i think it would be very exciting if if we should organize like uh, uh, for you to chat with brenda as well you know uh, brenda kilbert who's one of the co-owners of of broad because she's she's so passionate about africa as well and what Africa's doing from a story perspective so I think it would be exciting if, if you could have a conversation with her. But I know Braun, they, they've got a lot of exciting programs that they are working on, especially from, I can't speak on their behalf, of course, but I know one of Brenda's dreams is to really set up in South Africa because she's in love with South Africa, you know. So, so I think that's positive if you get that international interest of, of productions who want to come set up this side and benefit um, and, and really benefit uh, uh, South African filmmakers or, or storytellers. But I, I was talking to Brenda actually like a couple of weeks ago and we were just talking about their challenges during COVID as well. You know, they had to stop a number of productions because of COVID. They had crew and cast that was stuck somewhere as well who couldn't fly back. And so, so I mean, they had their own challenges during this, this COVID, uh, during the lockdown and stuff. But I know there's a lot of things that they still managed to do during this year as well, which, which were exciting. They are coming back uh, um, this year again to, to support Arif. I mean, Brenda's behind the scenes as well for Arif. So there's a lot of really exciting things that, that, that they're doing. I mean, they had a lot of exciting movies that came out this year. Capone, is it Capone, right? That ended up going through, I think, April or, or Amazon. So, so those are the things that they had to do as well, where you cut the theatrical release and you go straight to, to um, VOD. I, I know they went through a lot as well. But yeah, but I don't want to find myself speaking <laughs> speaking on the behalf of... of no, no, I, was, I wasn't asking you to uh, speak on behalf of like Brown Studios, but just in terms of like yeah. the upcoming Orif or the upcoming developments that you can see yeah. from your perspective. Yeah, look, we, we, we're discussing now which titles we... Which title... Um, because usually they, they give us the closing. You know, um, uh, 2018, they gave us uh, Monster, which is now called All Rise. Has that um, come out yet? And I still feel like... No, not yet, man. I, I'm like, and I'm like, Anthony, come on. So, so they've changed the title now. It's called All Rise. And I still think even if that film comes out after five years, it's from now, it's still going to be very relevant to where we are, you know, as, as, a, as a community or as a continent or as the world, you know. So, so I, was, I was actually talking to Quakers like, can't we just screen that film again, you know? And we might screen it again if, if Anthony allows or if it's not tied up now to certain uh, copyright and licensing deals. So, I mean, yeah, so we are looking at which title we can, which title we can sort of screen as, as, as one of our closing. But there is some, like really, really exciting titles that, that we might get from, from our partners, Braun, um, which until we finalize that, I can't really get into it. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited with the options that we have on the table from them. So then 
what are some of the things that young African storytellers or just storytellers in general should have at the back of their minds or should be preparing for within this current yeah. era? But I think for, for the young uh, filmmaker creative that's coming to, to the industry, I think for me, it's always like the mindset that that's the, the big thing. It's like the, and people always say this, like, why are you doing it? You know, why are you getting into it? For me, it, and I, I've, I've always said this and I say it over over in every conversation I'm having is that most of the creatives or, or some people when they come into the industry, it, most of the time it's about them, it, you know, in a sense that I want to be famous, I want to be known, I want to make the money and, 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 and I, 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 and half of the time, that's why the, you find the industry is not growing. You find a very few yalezos who say, I'm going to be in a position of building an industry, you know, because you are, you are in a position where every earning that you get, you are putting it back to programs that are activating conversations around the industry, uh, development, workshops. Um, you look at the setup at Broke S, and I, I said to Felicia the other day, we attended one of them. I'm like, I know Yales is not making the money yet, right, through this thing, but he's doing it. And every month he's doing it. I, in my head, I'm like, what's driving him to put a community of creatives together in one room, have them watch each other's work, criticize, comment on each other's work, admire each other's work, network, connect. And, and sometimes I look at Arif as well, where I, I get to hear, oh, I met um, this person at Arif and now we are doing this, or we've got a deal on this. And I'm like, oh my God, we were part of that, creating that network, but you, you're not gonna even benefit from, from that deal. And not that you wanna benefit, you know, the point I'm trying to put across is that there are some creatives that comes into the industry and they don't make it about themselves. And I think if, if young filmmakers come into this industry and say, this, this is how I'm going to contribute to creating this industry or to take it to the next level. I think that's, that's the best approach you can have when you're coming in and, and not coming in to come take, you know. And that's the only way we could like literally pave it better as well for, for the next generation of, of, of filmmakers or for the next generation of creatives is when we have people who are coming into the industry to build it and take it to the next level. Because um, as much as we have a lot of these uh, big, uh, a lot of these big things which are happening, our industry is still quite unsustainable and it has a lot of holes, which, yeah. um, which needs to be filled for it to be sustainable. Because the one thing, the right. one thing that we know, or the one thing that at least once you're in the industry, because when you're outside of the industry, it's very easy to criticize because we have Hollywood as the example. And when America is our linchpin, it's very easy to criticize until you're in the industry and you're like, well, <laughs> I thought I could do. <laughs> well, well, well. Then you, then you start getting, uh, then you start understanding a lot of the things which are missing within the industry. So if we're able to kind of plug a lot more of those holes, the next time a big thing happens, that that circulation is able to kind of move into a place where, for example, if you're doing a licensed show or a licensed television series, you're able to get that second season a lot easier as opposed to when we get licensed shows which you have this really great first season and the second season never comes back or even mm. even um how many how many besides just and the keeping up with the kandasamis and broken promises and spud how many uh sequels do we have within our film like commercial sequels Um, shucks, yeah, I remember Spud. Um, so it's 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 within those. It, it, it's like speaking to those things because the way those things are able. Uh, what was what what was the uh, the uh, what's this? Um, do you know Mshefana? I do not. 
So you don't know Somizi's dad's feelings? Uh, Yes. Do you know his film? I really, I wish I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even, but um, I'm seeing in terms of the ones which are listed. <laughs> I didn't, I, I didn't mean that to sound bad. It's just I genuinely. No, it didn't sound bad. No, 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 it didn't sound bad. I, I understand. No, because <laughs> if I'm being honest, or if I'm being honest for um, the listeners, a, a part of a lot of what I've been doing isn't just um, a lot a lot of what I've been doing also with African film and even with the next gen yeah. next gen greats is as much as it is that's why I'm called yeah, as a student or why I've called myself yeah, as a student even though I'm not a student in terms of like I'm not in varsity I've already graduated is because these are vessels for me to also just learn about things because it's very hard to know what's in your own industry because the information isn't shared so I don't yeah, know, true. and right now I'm seeing within this filmography, there's um, at least the ones that are listed on Wikipedia. There's an Inyaka Inyaka Ooh, I'm not even gonna try yeah, yeah. say that one because I will butcher it. Isi Upondo Nankinsela, Bad Company, and Strike Force. Is it any one of those films? Yeah, yeah, that's that's his films. He was part of that, but. Mainly the, the character is the same there, uh, which is Umshefa. Oh, so it's like a Medea type of esque. Uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, so so that character Umshefana, he was in like all these movies. Which, which look, dude, get yourself a Umshefana uh, uh, movie there. And, no, I, and watch it. I, it's I don't now know on my list, and I need to find any one of these films just to kind of know. <laughs> Yeah, so so I think he had he had a number of sequels. I could be wrong. But you though. see, you've gone um, literally to the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the eighties. Yeah, no, you're right. I get your <laughs> point. I get your point. I, I, the thing is, I just went there because you know we we used to watch a lot of his, his films, and and they, they were all uh, comedy. But yeah. So yeah, it's 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 in terms of the way those things kind of come back. Isn't just due to box office sales it's also due to cultural relevance and conversation mm-hmm. and because a lot of cult films sometimes don't make their money in the box office but when they get to the television rights when they get to other places they're able to sustain so much that people want to get it again and they know that if they get it again that one will then be the one that makes the money but if you don't have places that have conversations surrounding if we don't have the culture surrounding our local film industry then it becomes a lot harder for independent parts of it to thrive which then makes us continuously have to rely on making ourselves dependent which is a very vicious cycle but tying back to the original point um that you were trying to make in coming into the industry because our industry once you're in our industry understand there are specific places where we're great and there are specific places where we're non-existent yeah and the specific places where we're non-existent for us to be fully great more people need to kind of invest in making sure that those places are planted making sure that 20 years from now if you want to say that i want to make this film and even if it's a commercial film you have a roadmap that you feel you feel you're confident in being able to take as opposed to figuring it out continuously and starting from scratch every single time yeah it's that's discouraging right yeah but yes now closing because i did ask you for 90 minutes and now we're a full uh 105 minutes in if people want to know more or in terms of how to approach you or even know more about the specific projects that you're on with with regards to ayanda and also how best can they approach you if they want to understand a little bit more from the conversation obviously with COVID this year we had to go through a lot of reshuffling but at the same time uh, some of us had to just stop and reflect. So I'm excited about a lot of things that are, that are going to be coming up next year. As Actor Spaces, we're looking at having our own, the first like physical exhibition of most of the portraits that we've been taking. We, we're also looking at launching the, the Actor Spaces Awards, 
where we can just have an environment where we honor and celebrate actors. So there's a lot of exciting projects that are coming up. I'm excited about the estate, which is going to be on SABC3. You know, things always change. Probably the, the name might, might change, uh, but I know they've gone out on PR as well with, with the estate. So I'm excited about that as the casting director there. So, I mean, the approach aspect of it, if you want to link up with me, I mean, it is it is difficult, you know, sometimes. But I think social media has made it much easier as well, where we can now DM each other. Um, but I mean, if, if sometimes if you want to get hold of someone, you, you can make means and really, you know, you can try me on social media. Um, you can try me on the actor spaces emails that are out there. Um, and and see how best we can connect. Thank you so much for your time. Um, this was a very interesting and very explorative conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know I've come out with come out with what now five films I have to go research for. So that's that's always good for me. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to to give your perspective and your knowledge in terms of both casting and the general scope of where we are within your perspective of yeah. the African and primarily South African within this conversation um, industry for sure look uh, it was a beautiful conversation didn't feel like a, an interview which is always great um, and and I think I mean congrats to you and the team I think just like don't stop you know just 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 guys keep going I think you guys are doing amazing work um keep going and i know it's not easy me and you both know <laughs> all the challenges you know that that we face but uh, uh for us to keep going i think i think that's beautiful we are building a a or trying to leave a digital footprint of um of our time you know as creative so thank you so much it was a great conversation that was the fourth episode of the African Film Podcast with our special guest Ayanda Sitebe. Thank you so much for listening. I am Yalezon Jaguna, the host and editor of this specific podcast, and this episode was sponsored by the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture. I would like to take this time to acknowledge the amazing team that helped put this podcast together, including my co-producer Kibare Wanchukuna, the music composer Katleho Doshi Temo, who made the original music you're listening to right now, as well as our voiceover artist, Nomaba Kibare. To find out more about African Film, do follow our social pages, which is African Film, which is A-F-R-I-Q-U-A-N Film on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also check out our website, enraptured.africa, where you can find the full show notes. Or if you'd like to email us, you can also email us at africanfilm at gmail.com. If you'd like to check out some of our other podcasts, you can also check out the Next Gen Greats podcast, which is hosted by myself. The Next Gen Greats podcast is a space where we get artists to take us through the inspiration behind some of their projects, whether it be an EP, a mixtape, or a producer's catalog. You can also check out Givenomics, which is a podcast hosted by Kibare, where he gives an economics enthusiast perspective on things. And finally, if you'd like more film content, you can also check out What's Hot on the Screen, which is essentially a bite-sized version of this because I talk to filmmakers about their upcoming projects, but more so in a 10 to 15 minute type of setting. You can find those links in our description below as well as in our show notes. Once again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you at our next episode.